Hello, hello, friends, and welcome to the Seems Like Diet Culture podcast. This is the place where you get your questions answered about the numerous nutrition and wellness trends out there. And I don't even think numerous really covers it because let's be honest, there are way too many. Now, I spend more time on social media than I am proud to say. I like to use the excuse that it is my job, but I will find myself on there scrolling when I should not be, watching TikToks, looking at YouTube videos on Instagram. And every single time I go on there to no feel, fail, I see a new rule, diet, wellness influencers spreading pseudoscience, or anything else that you could imagine in terms of misinformation or just something that I've never even seen in the nutrition and wellness world. So that is exactly why I created this podcast, because I wanted to be able to tell you if that was legit or not, and then you can make the decision of how you want to incorporate that into your life. Today, I come to you with my cat, Mr. Otis, on my right side. If you've listened to other podcasts, you'll know that he's a frequent visitor. He's all wrapped up in a blanket, and he is hyped absolutely hyped (laughs) to talk about our topic for the day, which is the 80-20 rule, also known as the 80-20 diet or the 80-20 lifestyle. And on that note, I actually am super excited about this topic because I have learned about this from three different areas. So I've seen this all the way back to school. When I was becoming a dietitian, I heard about the 80-20 rule and the lifestyle and all the ways that people practice it. And I even worked with dietitians that practice this. I've also seen this have somewhat of a resurgence on Instagram and TikTok in the kind of late months or maybe year, but I feel like just more lately I've seen it more, which is why I wanted to do this episode. But I have also learned about this from the person that created it. And I don't think a lot of people actually know how this originated. So that is exactly what I'm going to be diving into to start off with, because I imagine that a lot of you guys have never heard of this, and it may be very different than the idea that you have of the 80-20 rule now. And with all that being said, let's just dive right into it. Starting off with the traditional definition of this. The person that created this is Teresa Cutter. So she's a qualified chef. She was classically trained. She had 25 years of experience. She was in Australia mainly. And she also was an accredited fitness trainer and had a certificate in nutrition from Deakin University. Now, I will say I'm not as familiar with how nutrition works in Australia. I know that they do use a technical term dietitian, so she's not a dietitian. But when it comes to getting a certificate, I don't know if that's doing a class. I don't know if she minored in it. I don't know if she majored in it. So I don't really know how to speak specifically to that. But it does seem like she was doing a lot of things at once with all of the different stuff. So something to keep in mind when we go into this next piece about the 80-20 diet. And yes, at the time she made it, it was called the 80-20 diet. And it was actually a book, mainly a cookbook. But this is the description of the book if you go to kind of find it to buy it. And I have to read this to you guys. Okay. I had to clear my throat. My throat has been so weird today. Okay, that's enough. Now here we go. The 80-20 diet will unlock your body's natural potential for fast and healthy weight loss. The diet is also based on a three-step approach, nutrition, movement, and rest for optimum health, weight loss, and well-being. 
Inside, you'll find the most effective ways to lose unwanted weight, learn about the right foods to consume, the importance of regular exercise, and making the right lifestyle choices to support your fresh start. The lifestyle, this lifestyle, allowed Teresa Cutter to compete at the Australian National Fitness Figure Championship, coming second in Australia. The recipes in the 80-20 diet are mostly low-carb and gluten-free and are quick, simple, and wholesome. This is the simplest and most effective way to achieve and maintain a healthy weight for the rest of your life. Inside the book, you'll find information on understanding and controlling your weight, causes of weight gain and how to fix it, 12-week metabolism boosting meal plan, over 100 healthy and delicious low-carb recipes, nutritional information for each recipe, best exercises for toning and sculpting your body, a complete exercise plan that will get you into the best shape of your life. I will say that this was created in 2012. If we had all been on a Zoom or something, I would have died to know what your guys' thoughts were for when this was created. But since we're on a podcast, I just told you, 2012. And the book is super cheap, and she's gone on to publish a ton more books, like The Healthy Chef and Smoothie and Milk books and, like, all this other type of stuff. So she's kind of kept with this theme, but I did notice, and we'll get into this more a little bit later, but her messaging has definitely changed a little bit from this initial messaging of, I believe this was her first book ever with the 80-20 diet. Now, I imagine that as I read through this, a lot of you guys are very surprised because I don't feel like this is what most people think of as the 80-20 diet or the 80-20 rule anymore. And most often what you hear is the 80-20 rule. I know that's what I learned in school and what most of the people that I worked underneath dietitians utilized as terminology. So I'm going to kind of explain a definition that is a little bit more in line with that. And I got this from a more recent website, and it was actually written by a dietitian, and it was on Hum Nutrition's website. So this is what they describe the 80-20 rule as. The 80-20 rule is a flexible diet that consists, or sorry, scratch, the 80-20 diet is a flexible style of eating coined by wellness expert and renowned chef Teresa Cutter. Simply put, this diet claims that it is possible to lose weight if you eat healthy 80% of the time while giving way to foods often categorized as less healthy for the other 20%. That's their definition. Now, if I were to go on TikTok or someone that talks about this in more of a quote-unquote lifestyle way, I would say that most of them would say 80-20 is eating nourishing foods or healthy foods 80% of the time and eating indulgent foods or fun foods 20% of the time to have a balance in the way that you eat. That's what I would guess that you would see and hear most of the time. And I actually feel like this perfectly depicts this kind of triad that we are speaking about in terms of how the 80-20 rule has shifted and how people speak about it differently. It is interesting though because this article about 80-20 that I read to you that the dietitian wrote, that was written in like May of 2022. So very recently, I kind of thought that it would be a few years ago, but that is besides the point. When it comes to the 80-20 diet, there are some basically categorizations of which foods fit into the 80 and which foods fit into the 20. This was in 
both the book that Teresa Cutter made and also within this article and even just a lot of what I see online about how to categorize and know what fits into each. So 80, 20, or the 80% is healthy foods, quote-unquote. I, I can never do the healthy foods without the quote-unquote. I know that it's they don't mean it, quote-unquote, but I just have to say it. And it includes fruit, vegetables, whole grains, lean protein, plus unprocessed or minimally processed foods. It's funny because a lot of the graphics online will include dairy and bread or wheat in this, but I noticed that this one did not. And I also noticed that in Teresa's version, she makes it low-carb, and I thought that was really strange and also gluten-free. So I wonder if that's part of her own bias of what she thought was healthy or if that ties into the physique training. But there are a lot of different people that think a lot of different things about how these foods fit into the 80%. On the other 20%, most people say that this really just looks different. It's it's basically your food preferences, but anything that you think of as quote-unquote unhealthy. Ice cream, pizza, nachos, all of that type of stuff. But then of course, they always make note of how you still need to be mindful of your amounts when it comes to the 20%. And I have to share this meal plan with you guys. I personally just did not have it in me for research purposes even to buy the 999 80-20 diet book. I know I could have, you know, and it would have given me even more to give you guys. It would have been even more juicy. But when I think about fueling this, I just can't. I can't fuel that one. And I'm not saying that that's how I feel about all of the 80-20 rule. We're going to get into that more. But I think if you read that description with me or you listened to that description, you already know why I say that. Anyways, back to this. In terms of this meal plan or this day of eating on 80-20 that this person laid out, I (laughs) thought this was very funny. So this was what it was. It was two hard-boiled eggs with a side of steel-cut oats and berries for breakfast. Lunch was a turkey burger served on a whole grain bun and a side of mixed grain salad. Snack was a cup of Greek yogurt with a side of fresh fruit. Dinner was chicken and brown rice with stir-fry veggies. And dessert was dark chocolate almond butter cups. Mind you, they link to a healthify recipe of dark chocolate almond butter cups in there. So when I read this, I literally thought to myself that I saw an example day that was all 80. And so I think there were two example days on the article. And so I literally went back and looked at the top and I thought to myself, is this just an 80 day? Because where is the 20? It wasn't. It was a depiction of an 80-20 day. Personally, I was a titch confused because I'm not sure where the 20 is here. This just looks like a very nourishing, quote-unquote, healthy day of eating that honestly may not even be enough food for a lot of people. And every single thing here seems like it's healthified. So I didn't quite understand that. But I think that gives a good depiction of even how this can be misconstrued in terms of what a 80-20 day of eating looks like. And before we kind of go on, I do want to have a quick discussion about the origination of this diet. When I talk about 80-20 in the rest of this episode, 
I am not going to be discussing the creation of this in the way that they discussed it, of this weight loss plan and the nutrition and movement and rest and all that stuff. We're really going to be talking more about that second definition that I read to you about how you eat a certain way 80% of the time and another way 20% of the time. So I'm not talking about all the workout stuff or the rest stuff because I don't really know. I haven't really looked in depth into that. But to give you a sneak preview of how I feel about this, that piece of it is so written in diet culture, it's wild. And I really feel like this is a perfect example of how much messaging can change over the years, even while something can still hold such a similar mindset and rules around it. So the 80-20 diet used to be a thing. Then it became the 80-20 rule and then it became the 80-20 lifestyle. And it, a lot of the time has the same origins, even though they're just changing the name and the terminology to be a little bit more acceptable. It does seem like the diet version of it with all these recipes was the most extreme version and it has become less extreme over time, which is good to know. But they did create this as a way to lose weight. She did speak about how this is something that she did to be a fitness champion. And that is not to be forgotten as I go through the rest of this episode. But I want to go into the pros and cons next. And so when I'm going through these, just think to relate these more to this whole idea of eating quote unquote healthy 80% of the time and quote unquote unhealthy 20% of the time. And I don't feel 100% positively or 100% negatively about this. And I just want to remind you of that and make that disclaimer again here, as you've heard in all my other podcast episodes, because this is never going to be one size fits all. Not everybody's going to look at this the same. And so if I'm talking about 80-20 and you think, well, I don't do it that way. Remember, we're all different. That's the whole point of this podcast is for you to figure out what it looks like for you. And that's enough disclaiming. Now we're going to get into it. Here are the first pros. What I like about it is that it is much more flexible and it emphasizes trying to find a balance. With so many diets, right, let's compare it to keto or intermittent fasting or, I don't know, the South Beach diet, anything like that. There are such strict rules. You can't eat this, cut out this food group, you know, only eat at these times. And that is, as we know, so, so harmful and so restrictive. And so I do really appreciate that this emphasizes that ability that you can have whatever sounds good to you, that it can be this kind of balance of different foods. And it doesn't have to be that you limit yourself from stuff. That's such an important message, and I do think that creating something like this was a step in the right direction, especially think about 2012, guys. 2012 was still diet culture central, and when I'm thinking about 2012, let's see, in 2015 was when I was going into college, and that is when the fitness influencer world was rampant, and unseasoned chicken breasts, and brown rice, and freaking broccoli or not even vegetables in general sometimes were the center of the Instagram and fitness universe. So I imagine that in some ways at this time, 
this 80-20 idea was kind of revolutionary. And even as I saw this practice, for example, in sports, they would talk about this with dietitians I worked with. I do feel like it was very freeing for some people to hear. Athletes and people that had been put on really strict meal plans, they felt like this gave them the ability to still have these things that they wanted and that they loved and that they weren't finally they weren't told that they had to cut it all out finally when they've been told that a lot of the times in the past. So I do really appreciate about this. And this can also be helpful for people in terms of guidelines. So for an athlete, right, that has no idea how to look at nutrition, and we've had that. And when I was working at Exos, we had an athlete and he ate Chick-fil-A three times a day and he had no idea what nutrition meant and it genuinely confused him. But we didn't want him to feel like he had to go from eating Chick-fil-A three times a day to eating quote-unquote perfectly. We wanted him to still be able to have those things that he enjoyed, but what ended up happening is he ended up noticing how wonderful he felt with adding in these new different foods while still appreciating being able to have these things that he's always loved. And so for someone like that, that 80-20 mindset around something is just a good way to visualize when they don't have much of an idea about what food means. And to go along with both of those points, it's pretty simple. Now, of course, it's subjective in terms of everybody's 80 may look different in terms of foods, in terms of amounts, and everybody's 20 will look different too. But the fact that someone can just think, okay, I'm going to try to shoot for this 80% of the time and 20% of the time I'm going to shoot for this is such a big difference between those diets that have 16,000 rules and you have no idea how to go through them. So as I typically do, I flocked to my Instagram. I flew to the Instagram to ask for your opinions. And you guys came through. There were people that really enjoyed the whole 80-20. I had Audrey say that for her, it was 80% fuel, 20% fun. All foods fueled you, but it just depended on what the reason was. I had Maria or Mara said, yes. (laughs) It was probably so cringy listening to me do that, but I love the energy behind it. Kayla said, it's healthier for me because I feel like I can have an idea of what will make me feel good. And someone else said, why can I not find it right now? Oh, Caitlin said, I like it. So there was a lot of people that felt like this was a helpful thing for them. And trust me, I see this a lot from people in my life, too, that just say that after struggling with figuring out what felt best for their body, that they found this and it just felt so much more simplistic and less restrictive. Now, let's go into the cons. And let me tell you guys, when I get to your responses, you guys brought the tea. You brought the heat. I threw it up there and I was like, oh yeah, I'll be curious to see if anybody has anything to say about it. Mm, You did. But I'm going to start off with my ideas first. Let's just lay it out. 80-20 itself is a rule. It's still a rule. It says it in the name. And first it said it was a diet. Second, it says it's a rule. And now, because it's not as acceptable, people say it's a lifestyle. Just like they do with gut healing lifestyle, 
healthy lifestyle. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. Is it really Becky or is it a diet? I don't know why I targeted Becky. I'm so sorry. If you're a Becky out there, I just picked a random name. It's a great name. Okay. I love Becky's in my life. I don't even know if I have a Becky in my life, but I know if I did, I would love them. But actually it is a rule. Okay. And when we're talking about full freedom, when we're talking about intuitive eating, that's not where we're going for. And something I didn't really appreciate about the article with the dietitian that I was alluding to earlier on Hum Nutrition is that she did say that the 80-20 lifestyle isn't suitable for people trying to achieve full freedom, people that were struggling with an eating disorder, or people that were trying to intuitive eat. And that distinction is super important because it's not. So if you're that person that has struggled with your relationship with food, this is not the thing for you because you probably have too much of an idea about what foods you think you should be eating and what foods you think you shouldn't be eating. And having something else that emphasizes that is not going to be helpful for you. So that is the main thing. If you have been considering this and you were in that category, mark it off your list. The second thing about this is that life does not always follow 80-20. I'm going to give an example of this. Okay, so the past two weeks... We have had weddings. They were freaking amazing for some of, our, some of our closest friends. I was in both of the weddings, which was such an honor. And then this week, I am traveling to New York, and I'm going to see another free friend. And then the week after that is my birthday. So on the weeks of this wedding, it was not 80-20. Okay, I can tell you that. Obviously, I'm not thinking about if it's 80-20, but it's not. When we got into New York, I pretty sure I was completely sustained off of bread, bagels, and cheese the entire weekend. I was at an Italian wedding this last weekend, and they had the most amazing freaking cocktail hour. It was an hour and a half long. They had, I think, 11 stations. There was an entire table of different cheeses. It was like a massive cheese board. I think... I swear I had like 10 Parmesan cubes. I was living my dream. In that circumstance, in that weekend, I can tell you I was not eating 80-20. I also probably consumed literally 30 alcoholic beverages over the entire time, okay? So maybe it was a 20-80. If I was following 80-20, there's two things that could have happened. Three things, a lot of things, but let's name the top three. Number one, I could have told myself, oh, well, this weekend is going to be 20, so I need to save up for that 20%, and I'll eat quote-unquote healthy this entire week, and I wouldn't allow myself any quote-unquote treats or 20% things. Number two, I could have still been obsessing about 80-20 while I was on vacation and making myself feel like I had to do that, which wouldn't have made sense because on the day of the wedding, when we were all getting ready, we were having bagels, we have champagne, we had sandwiches for dinner, we had the most delicious, as I told you, cocktail hour, right? It wouldn't have made sense or been possible without me bending the rules, going to the extreme, not that there's rules, but I mean, coming out of the environment and being present to hit that 80-20. The third thing is I could have felt like I quote unquote failed at 80-20 because of either of those things that I just mentioned, which defeats the whole point. And when we really think about any of these three options, it also shows us that we're still having to think a lot about food. And that is the third point that I have. 
we want to not have to think about food all the time. And I do understand that food is important. You know, I went to school to study how much nutrition can impact how we feel and how our body works and all of that great stuff. And I believe in it. But if we feel like we have to stress about it, especially on something as fun as your friend's wedding weekends, then it's really taking away from our life. And that's not the point in those moments. It's just not. And so if it starts to become that for you and it starts to become something you feel like you have to think about all the time, then it does start to go into that gray area of is this really helpful or is it more harmful than it is helpful? Especially with the fact that point number four, it is not researched. I'm sure you guessed that. And as I've said before, anecdotal reports are very important. But when we talk about any type of way of eating, it is nice when we feel like there is some backing to it and that there's a reason why we would go into it, especially if you're following something strict like the original creator of this plan wanted you to, like a 12-week meal plan thing. And if you're going to be doing that, it better be freaking research, right? But this more flexible way of eating, if you have good anecdotal experiences, that's great, but it's not something that really goes along with the more well-accepted types of eating that we hear about, right? The Mediterranean diet or just really a diet of balance is every single time they go to study it, what makes the most sense, that's it. Because we all know diets don't work, right? 80 to 95% of people that diet fail. And I think that this tried to almost come in as this whole, I'm not a real diet and you get to have everything you want, so try me out. And that's the other thing that I do think just is hard for me about this, is that although people nowadays, I feel like really look at it more as a lifestyle, at least a lot of the people that I'm seeing on TikTok and Instagram, it was made for weight loss. It was sold as a way to get this woman to second place in the Australian physique competition. Even in this article that was published in May of 2022, this dietitian is speaking about the fact that it's utilized for weight loss. And it's a great way, what was the way that she said it? The no diet diet of your dreams. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. It was in March of 2020 that she did this. And I'm not hating on this dietitian at all. She was just sharing her opinion, writing an article about it, but I'm just using this as a reference point because there are so many people that talk about it just like this. And all of this being said, it's hard for me when at the end of the day, things come down to weight loss. They come down to changing your body. And it's hard for me to believe that something's truly about balance when the entire nature of it is centered and created around the weight loss itself. So I want to go to you guys because you guys, as I said, came out with the freaking facts. So Jana said, and I quote, 
I have a lot to say about this. Go off, queen. She says it's another way to stay in control, but socially accepted because you still label foods as good and bad, saying it's okay to eat it sometimes, just basically justifying what and why you're eating it in the name of balance. You know how you do the uppercase and the lowercase all mixed together. Love typing like that. Like, LOL, you still think food is good and bad. Why do we always have to put a label on our way of eating? Staying in control, it's literally like categorizing food And that's disordered. Same with balance. Like, no cheat days, but in the pursuit of health. It's just another label. And everything is okay, quote-unquote, in moderation, but nothing should be off limits and nothing should have to be constantly moderated. And, quote-unquote, unhealthy food is allowed, but only an X amount. And because I can only have a big that's obviously disordered. And she says, I hate the word control, or sorry, I don't know why, where I got control. I hate the word balance because it's a label and sense of control. Too much. It's just justification. I mean, wow. In Live Unrestricted, my group coaching program, when someone says super something super insightful, we'll say it's a mic drop moment. <clears throat> and Jana just had her mic drop moment. She said so many good things there, and I could not agree more with so many of the points that she said. Now, tons of you guys had other amazing points as well. Someone said, any catchphrase suggesting how I should eat is usually a no for me. Tanya said, attaching numbers to what I suppose is supporting balance, quote unquote, does more harm. Linnea says, still moralizes food and it can be restrictive. Casey says, feels like we're putting rules on intuitive eating, TBH. And I have more to say about that. Julia said, I don't know the point. Feels like it's just another way of telling people how to eat. Mary Catherine shared that it's still restriction. She actually tried it and she found that on the days that she didn't achieve it, it typically led to binging as well. Everything that you guys shared was so insightful. I could sit here reading out every word that all of you shared in the conversation, and I just so appreciate y'all's perspective and experiences, but I really want to draw home or bring home. I don't know what draw home means. (laughs) New term. The point that Jenna was saying The categorizing of foods and the justification in the name of balance are two things that I feel like are the most diet culture-y parts of this in terms of how people look at it nowadays. Because categorizing foods in any way is still diet culture-y. And I do like when people name things more in the name of nourishing foods versus fun foods instead of just healthy or unhealthy But there was something that was said in that article, the HUM article again, and when she spoke to the fact of giving way to foods often categorized as less healthy, and then there was another moment where she said, this approach, the 80-20 approach, may be helpful for people that typically give in to their sweet cravings. It still makes it feel like that 20%, although okay, quote-unquote, isn't really as good as the 80% or there's like this tainted nature to it and then when you talk about it in the name of balance 
it feels like those foods don't really have value. They only have value because of the fact that you're giving in and that's okay because you have a balance, you know? And it's kind of an icky feeling. And I've seen this as such a recent trend in terms of diet culture where it used to be that we talked about food in such a toxic way, circling back around to that very first book excerpt or selling point that I said to you. I mean, that was intense. All the stuff that was said there, right? And very, very diet culture-esque. Then we move into the rule where there's a little bit more of the diet culture stuff and it's still pretty diet culture, but not as extreme, but still in the lifestyle, I think that there's the underlying nature of how diet culture really does present itself, you know? And I do know from firsthand experience of seeing friends that do this, that there are people that it works really well for. And I am not going to discount that, especially people that maybe didn't have as much knowledge about food or nutrition, or they feel like, you know, they've tried all these diets and they really just need an idea of, of what could feel good for them. But for most of the people here that more come from a disordered eating background or struggle with their relationship with food, or definitely if you ever had an eating disorder or even trying on intuitive eating, I don't know if you need that 80-20 categorization that you have to think about each week. And with intuitive eating, which is what I personally follow and I hope that many people can, it really is kind of like intuitive eating with rules because intuitive eating could look like eating 80-20 it could also look like 90-10. It could also look like 50-50. It can look like 20-80, like my weekends of the wedding. And it doesn't really matter, but we don't want to feel like we have to do intuitive eating only in this little box, you know? So when it came down to rating this, I had a really hard time because those three different levels almost have different ratings. So let's just start off with the 80-20 diet basically the original creation of this back to 2012. You guys read through the description with me. I mean, (laughs) I feel like it has to be an 8 out of 10. And why I say this is because it's so diet culture ridden, but it can't be a 10 out of 10 if we compare it to the times because Think about how bad some of those things were, right? Like the all-shake diets and just crazy stuff. And so I do think this was a step, a step away from diet culture, but it was all in the name of weight loss. It had meal plans. It was, it's a whole guide. It wasn't well-researched. It was a cookbook of kind of random stuff. And it was all about low-carb and gluten-free, which was never really mentioned in normal 80-20, which I thought was kind of strange that that was something that she chose. So all of that to me is very diet culture-esque. And even now, Teresa Cutter, she, as I said, she's gone on to publish more, but in her bio on LinkedIn, when I was looking at it, she literally has like this meal replacement shake that she created. And so I was like, okay, same vibes, same vibes. So the 80-20 rule 
and the 80-20 lifestyle, which I'm basically differentiating between that definition that I wrote, read to you that is focused on weight loss still versus the definition that we were kind of talking about of more of just trying to focus on things as a way to feel your best, I also think are different. I would say that the 80-20 rule is maybe a six and a half. I would be so curious to hear your guys' rankings on this. The reason why I say that is because, again, although it is more balanced, quote unquote, and it has more variety, it's not as strict, it's still talking all about weight loss. And the fixation on weight loss screams diet culture to me, always, no matter what, because it's selling that everybody needs to be smaller, skinnier, skinnier is healthier. And I just don't like that. Versus the 80-20 lifestyle that people talk about, I do really feel like there are people that do not do it in the name of weight loss. They do it as just a way to focus on feeling their best. And so I would give that like a five because I do also think that people are still doing it in the name of weight loss, but they just feel like it's quote unquote better. So five is just a good in between because it's like the neutral. It's like it could be super diet culture It could be very much, it could be less diet culture I was going to say it could be very much less so diet culture which just felt a little wordy. And that's the ratings that I'm going to go with. We had a three-tiered rating system today. And I honestly didn't know how fun and in-depth I could get into this 80-20 conversation, but I have had a blast going into this. I really hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have any questions or thoughts for me, always shoot me a DM. And if you guys share this podcast episode, share the podcast, rate it on Spotify or on Apple, I would be so freaking grateful for you. As a reminder, I always do a monthly Starbucks giveaway and I enter in all of the shares from people, ratings that they've sent me and send someone over a Starbucks gift card as a thank you to you. So if you do that, I love you. You're my best friend. If you've already rated it, you can definitely send me that even to submit it for this month um, if you haven't already. And yeah, I think that's it. I always end the show so awkwardly. Why do I always have to go, yeah? I think that's it. I could just do something that seems a little more natural, but we keep it fun. We keep it flirty. I feel like someone gave me the best compliment ever and they said that they felt like listening to the show was like being on FaceTime and that is my exact goal. So hearing that made me so freaking happy. An informative, educated FaceTime call. Boom. <laughs> okay guys, thank you so much for being here. I have my uh, links to my Instagram, TikTok, group coaching program, Live Unrestricted, all in the show notes. And I hope to see you here next week. Bye guys.